Blog Talk Radio. June 21st, 2017 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, and this is where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and welcome to everyone who's joining me live over here at Blog Talk Radio. It is the first day of summer, so I don't know about you, but if uh, yeah, everyone's refreshing their browser, says Rob over there. Yeah, for some reason at the beginning, you have to do that. Blog Talk was giving me some glitches earlier today, and I don't know if it's because they knew what I was putting in my program notes today. If you want to see what I'm talking about, go over to the blog at don'tletitgo.com. That's where I always put program notes for the show. I post them about an hour before showtime. What I like to do is I like to give you a collection of links for all the stories and stuff that I plan to discuss. Uh, Sometimes I don't get to everything in the program notes, but it's stuff that I think is worth your while to check out. Some people, maybe you have friends who don't even like podcasts. They think it's annoying to listen to podcasts. They have no time, whatever. You might still like passing along to them the collection of stuff that I've got. Uh, In and of itself, there's some you know, some value over there. So uh, it's not the first link under the program notes that I'm talking about. It is the second and a uh, hat tip to Mark Griefer, who's a listener of the show, a longtime listener. Podcaster makes solemn promise to improve sound quality next episode. <laughs> and I'm sure there's a whole bunch of podcasters out there. They have bad sound quality. Oh, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. And perhaps, blog talk, even though I hadn't posted my program notes when I was creating my links and sending it around and doing all this stuff, maybe blog talk knew that I was going to put this out there as the joke, right? Now, what I will, you know, what I'm kind of guilty of sometimes on this show, but not too often, but you guys can tell me, yes, I'm guilty of this. Not so much the sound quality, usually the sound quality is okay, but every so often we go through this period where I get disconnected and I don't realize I've been disconnected and I just keep talking and talking and talking. And then I go back to the chat room and I realize that I've been talking to nobody for, I don't know, five minutes, maybe more. And everyone's saying, you're disconnected. You're gone. You're gone. They have to come back and get reconnected. I don't know why I get bumped off. It happens sometimes. And then I keep saying, Okay, I'm going to set up all the browsers and everything so I can keep an eye on it better. Because you don't have a producer. It's just me sitting here. So, okay, I'll I'll fix. That's the thing that I keep telling you I'm going to fix. 
And I think I'm better at keeping an eye on the fact that I'm connected actually on air. You know, when I look at my little studio setup, it says Amy Peakoff host in this blue thing in the uh, switchboard. There's a switchboard panel within the blog talk radio studio. And if I'm connected, I should be there at the top. Now I remember one time I was disconnected, but it looked like I was connected. So there was something else that I needed to be looking at. I can't even remember what it was. It only happened that one time. So um, that being said, so there I was this morning making my link and everything. And then I'm posting my link to my show that I created. Everything looked good. I post on Facebook and it doesn't resolve. It doesn't give you the pretty preview window for my show. Now, I don't know if it's a new Facebook app or, so, you know, something's not playing nice with something else, obviously. But, you know, yeah, this is the morning I need the glitch. The one when I put the joke in my program notes about sound quality for blog talk. Uh, people in the chat room, I think, are having fun talking about how many refreshes and stuff. Oh, the ish. Yeah, I, I, you know, I put one minute and it wasn't really a minute. I'm a lawyer. I'm really exact, right? So it was one minute ish. It was about a minute and 20 seconds when I posted that. I felt like, God, I'm, you know, I'm misrepresenting the world to you. Uh, Rob says that that's happened to him too. He's been disconnected. Is that what you mean? Who knows? Um, ish or isms? Who knows? Uh, I'm missing the, all the wonderful inside jokes in my chat room over there. If you do want to participate on today's show, you can do so over in the chat room. You can also call in. I invite you to call in. I actually asked a title in the form of a question today, and here it goes. You know, the, the phrase in, that came to my mind is full court press because we have a full Supreme Court reaffirming freedom of speech, freedom of press, et cetera, First Amendment protection for so-called hate speech. And so we're going to talk about that ruling. And the question that I have is, can that help at least help save rational discourse in our country? So I have some other stories in the program notes that are relevant to the state of rational discourse in our country and efforts to save it. Obviously, last week with the shooting of Scalise, Congressman Scalise and, and um you know, by that jerk that I'm not going to repeat his name anymore, even though I can remember it. I can. I can remember it, but I'm not going to repeat it. Scumbag. Uh, things look pretty dire in terms of rational discourse. So it was a really nice breath of fresh air to see the Supreme Court coming out in principle, refusing to make distinctions between speech that offends and speech that doesn't, you know, being very principled about what the court is doing when it is granting a trademark. And I'm going to talk about that aspect of it as well a little bit because I was heartened by another aspect of the ruling, which is at least four of the justices coming out in favor of the idea that when the court grants a trademark, it is not speaking. I think that's important for the future of rational discourse as well. So I'm going to talk about that. If you want to call in and tell me your views on that you know, that main topic that I have planned, but also I've got a bunch of other stuff as well. The number at which to, to do so, to call me, and I'm going to uncover it to make sure I read it. I've memorized it, but, you know, you just, you just double check. 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817 if you want to call in. Um, 
uh, so Rob in the chat room is saying that he's seen the problem with other blog talk links on Facebook as well. Yeah, it could be Facebook updated or blog talk updated. And for some reason, they're not playing nice with each other the way that they used to. So if that's the case, hopefully they're going to go ahead and, and uh, fix it. Just Jean says it's encouraging that it was unanimous. Yes. Now, it wasn't unanimous in the reasoning, and so that could potentially affect future cases. But even, you know, the more liberal justices were saying quite good things with with Kennedy. And we'll go through, there's a few different articles talking about what the split was and and where it came down and stuff. So again, call in if you'd like to, 760-888-5817. If you want to discuss, if you do that, what Blog Talk has you do is press the one key. To let me know that you're in the queue and you would like to actually make a comment or ask a question. Otherwise, participating over here in the chat room is awesome as well. So as I said, zoom over, over to the blog, don'tletitgo.com. That is my hub where you can see all the different things that I do out in the world. It's got links to the Facebook page for the show. It's got links to Instagram, links to the two main Twitter accounts that I'm in charge of because I've got also the Ayn Rand bot going so you can see samples of all that stuff. Everything is over at don'tletitgo.com. So uh, program notes at the top of it, I put witness the show for last week and I recommend it just for a couple things. First of all, we've got the discussion, another discussion with James Valiant on law, which is always wonderful, but he was kind enough to stick around and also discuss Katy Perry and her song Witness with me. Um, and there's a theme that I was bringing up in that show last week, which I am happy to see was also repeated in Yaron Brooks' show on productiveness just the other day, which he's doing through Blog Talk. So he's got now The Blaze, where he's focused more on politics and, you know, politics for a general audience, not necessarily objectivist. And then he's got this living objectivism series that he's started over at, you know, where it's more exclusively on blog talk, probably also high road producers. But there he was talking about productiveness and talking about that, you know, it's more important to go out there and produce the positive and reinforce the positive than it is to just sit around and complain all the time. And this was one of the things that I was talking about last week. You know, here's this woman, Katy Perry. She is, you know, maybe you don't like the way that she overshares on YouTube or whatever. And uh, you think she's made some bad choices sometimes in her life. But as far as I can tell, she recovered from a religious upbringing. She's being productive. She's creating tremendous value. She's got some good tunes. She has some thoughtful tunes. Um, They're not as purposeful as our left-wing cultural elite would want them to be. And we talked about that last week, but you know, she's creating value. And I was objecting to the fact that people just come in and immediately criticize her for the politics. Now Yaron was making the same thing about the productive icons in Silicon Valley, the people who make our smartphones and all the apps that we use online and on our phones and everywhere. And, Um, You know, all these people are creating tremendous value for us. A lot of them have the wrong politics, but by and large, we should try to reinforce the people for the value that they provide versus, you know, bash them and everything else. And if we spend our whole time complaining on Facebook, it's not going to make our lives any better 
either. So there was an element of, of that in last week's show, this, this focus where you can on the positive. That being said, of course, there's some negative things that we have to talk about each week, but the goal is always to be looking, you know, what can we do about this? How can we deal about deal with this? How can we put it in perspective? Even seeing the bad in the world as a consequence of the wrong ideas and recognizing it that way and then going ahead and letting it, you know, do what you can to combat it, but know that you're, you're fighting for the future and that you, you know, you've categorized it, you've understood it, and then you can continue on in your, in your path. There's a, there's a value to that as well, but it is, it's a, it's, it's a matter of perspective. Euron is a very positive presence. So I do recommend listening to him for, sometimes he's more optimistic than I am sometimes probably a lot. Uh, Stuart in the chat room. Hello. Welcome, Stuart. He's talking about Katy Perry's feud with Taylor Swift. Oh, yeah. I've got the Swish Swish song at the at the bottom there. That's a fun little in-your-face song. The, the lyric, a tiger, don't lose no sleep, don't need opinions from a shellfish or a sheep. It's some, it's some fun stuff. So you can check that out and enjoy that. And she's a, a good performer as well. Um, so let's dive in. Let's dive into the good news. This is really just excellent news that we have this week. Regardless of all the horrific things that are going on around the country with respect to speech, we still have a Supreme Court that seems to be thinking in principle about this topic. And one thing that occurred to me when I was you know, seeing the news with this, that we've got a unanimous court upholding defending so-called hate speech in the realm of trademark recognition. One thing that I wonder whether it was going through the justices' minds is the fact that they had better stand up for free speech on principle, particularly in today's climate, that they are seeing that around the country, people seem to be incapable of continuing to have rational discourse with one another, that they are resorting either to name calling and all sorts of other invective on social media, or even sometimes resorting to violence as opposed to engaging in rational discourse and the political process. I do sort of wonder whether we're going to end up seeing any more fallout in that regard in terms of violence because of the Georgia special election that just happened and went in favor of the Republicans. You know, I didn't, I didn't put that in the program notes. There's things that you could say, you'd say, okay, well, I guess I'm happy that, you know, the Republicans are keeping their majority or they still have some ability maybe to get something done of the things that we're hoping that they're going to get done. They're saying that they're going to actually vote on some mysterious version of healthcare reform, I think next week, you know, I'm trying to keep track. I'm, I'm pretty dismayed at what we might actually get out of the Republicans. I just don't think it's that important. Yes, it is pretty funny to watch the leftist Democrats spend a whole pile of money and then lose. And then when you see these clearly biased left-wing journalists sitting there and they, they're forced to cover this special election. They've got all the dour faces. People are laughing about, okay, fine. It's not in the program notes though. Uh, but what I do wonder is whether that this sort of thing, you know, that everything is getting so polarized and hostile 
out there, if that was in the minds of the justices when they say, look, we need to come out with a principled defense of freedom of expression so that people understand that in a free country, in United States, that even if the speech offends, even if it is horrible, just, you know, only the worst scumbags would say whatever it is, nonetheless, it needs to be protected as a right. And the way to deal with it, as we'll look at Ted Cruz's statement later that I've gotten the notes, it's more speech. The answer to speech is more speech. You know, we've talked about on the show in the past what is keeping people from using speech as an answer to speech. Some of it might be that they aren't being taught critical critical thinking. And so when they're not taught critical thinking, they don't feel capable of answering speech with more speech. There's so much to work on on this issue. But what I think definitely is that to see a principled stand in favor of freedom of expression by the court, then that's going to help. That can only help matters. And, you know, I hope that commentators more generally out there are are using this as ammunition and saying, look, this is a country where we reaffirm the value of freedom of expression. Now, you might ask, this is a trademark case. What in the world does it have to do with reinforcing freedom of expression? Well, there are two things happens to be that there is a clause of the trademark law that would allow them to go ahead and not grant a trademark to something that is disparaging. And I believe disparaging is something that is in the law in Canada. So you can, you know, um, Oh, no, it isn't Canada. It was in Copenhagen. I remember in Copenhagen. Yeah, Copenhagen, they had a victory for freedom of expression uh, recently, but they still allow um, the prohibition of disparaging speech. Here, we had a law that said that you maybe could be denied trademark protection in the United States if the mark was disparaging. And the mark in question in this Mattel versus Tam case, the so-called slants case, is... um, you know, a mark that's seen to be disparaging to Asians. Uh, Alito wrote the opinion for four justices, and this is what he said. He said, the idea that government may restrict speech expressing ideas that offend strikes at the heart of the First Amendment. Speech that demeans on the basis of race, ethnicity, gender, religion, age, disability, or any other similar ground is hateful. But the proudest boast of our free speech jurisprudence is that we protect our, the freedom to express, quote, the thought that we hate, end quote. Now, Kennedy wrote for the other four justices, Gorsuch didn't participate because he joined the court too recently to have presided over this. But um, there's a point that Kennedy wrote about that the, the two opinions agree on. And here's Kennedy's formulation of it, quote, A law found to discriminate based on viewpoint is an, quote, egregious form of content discrimination, which is, quote, presumptively unconstitutional. A law that can be directed against speech found offensive to some portion of the public can be turned against minority and dissenting views to the detriment of all. The First Amendment does not entrust that power to the government's benevolence. Instead, our reliance must be on the substantial safeguards of free and open discussion in a democratic society, end quote. Now, 
When you read that last sentence from Kennedy, you think, okay, what safeguards do we have in free and open discussion in a democratic society? If, you know, first of all, democratic. Demo- let's have a democratic republic. Let's not talk about democracy per se. But right now, the state of free and open discussion in our society is at risk. And, you know, when he's writing this, is he aware of that? And is he saying, look, we need to preserve that. That is where the protection comes. And it needs to be in form of discourse, not in form of either asking the government to enforce your viewpoint or when you're not able to get the government to enforce your viewpoint, you say, "Okay, I'm going to be a vigilante censor and I'm going to go out there on college campuses or otherwise and try to enforce my viewpoint, get these people with the hate speech, speech that they say is violence. Get it out of there. He says, uh, and this is Eugene Volokh writing the, the squib for the Washington Post. He says, the justices made clear that speech that some view as racially offensive is protected not just against outright prohibition, but also against lesser restrictions. In Matal, the government had refused to register the slants as the band's trademark on the ground that the name might be seen as demeaning to Asian Americans. They weren't trying to forbid the band from using the mark. It was just denying it certain protections that trademarks get against unauthorized use by third parties. But even in this sort of program, the court held viewpoint discrimination, including against allegedly racially offensive viewpoints, is unconstitutional. And they say that, of course, this no viewpoint discrimination principle has long been seen as applying to excluding speakers from universities, denial of tax exemptions to nonprofits, et cetera. So that all should be there. Now, there's a couple more extensive write-ups of the court's opinion. So, for example, there's a Cato at Liberty blog post by Ilya Shapiro that breaks it down a little bit more in terms of the the split. What did they agree upon and what did they split? The thing that all the justices agreed upon is that all of these trademarks, even the ones that may offend people, are private speech. And the First Amendment prevents the government from censoring private speech. Um, Alito put it in the part of the opinion that all the justices joined, quote, if the federal registration of a trademark makes the mark government speech, the federal government is, is babbling prodigiously and incoherently, end quote. Now, you might say, okay, what does it matter? There's this technical issue of whether the government is speaking when it grants a trademark, Right. Is, is the government saying something? So there, there was a case in one of these that was cited that was saying that uh, the state of Texas could deny and say, no, we're not going to issue license plates with the Confederate flag because the government is speaking when it issues license plates. OK, so maybe that's one thing. But here they're saying, no, the government is not speaking when it protects a trademark. And a trademark is really if you study the law of this. So the trademark is kind of the lowliest of intellectual property. You could say that patents and copyright really are this hardcore of intellectual property and trademark is a little fringe. It's, you know, the, the, the name or the branding that you use to sell whatever it is that you sell, right? Um, it's not the substance itself. It's kind of the way that you 
market yourself, the trademark. But here it is. We've got the court saying if, if the government will register this trademark for you, the fact that the government is acting as a registry for these things and recognizing them and allowing you to protect your trademark in courts of law, that does not mean that the government is speaking when it accepts the registration of the trademark. It's not speaking on your behalf. And to me, I think that's important mostly for, from this standpoint. I mean, obviously here it's because they're, you know, they're going to say, okay, you know, it's private speech and therefore they can't discriminate. But um, one thing that's very important is that this shows the government is just recognizing an intellectual property right. To me, this, this gives more credence to the notion that it's recognizing that right as opposed to creating it. And there's been a huge you know, debate in, among a lot of libertarians. And many libertarians say that if the government protects intellectual property, that in effect, and some people even go so far as to say it's charity for authors or welfare for authors. I've actually seen that phrase used, that the government need not do this or perform this function, that if it does, it is giving welfare to authors because all authors could do is they could make private contracts, say, with each person that they sell a book to and say, okay, I'm going to give this to you, but then we have this contract that says that you can't copy it and that the government itself is not going to help protect other than you going to court with each individual you know, contract uh, partner. And that's ridiculous. So, you know, again, if, if, the, if they had said that the government is speaking when it grants a trademark, then to me that would mean that they, they're saying that the government is doing a gratuitous favor for an intellectual property owner. It's not just recognizing a right, it is creating a right. And here they're saying, no, 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 no. The government is not speaking. All it's doing is serving as this registry for the protection of intellectual property. And to me, that sort of pushes the debate more towards the idea that intellectual property is a right and that all the government is doing is recognizing that right. It's serving as you know, providing a default system of protection for it if you register it in a certain way. Now, let's see, the Redskins case is the Redskins case. You know, I think they expected the Redskins case to go to the Supreme Court, but pretty much everybody understands that the ruling in this case is going to resolve that case, and I think that it's going to make it moot. Um, I, I don't believe that it's going to even have to go because the ruling of this case applies, obviously, to the Redskins case. That's pretty much every commentator that I've read has said that. Justine says, does this mean that there's private speech and public speech? What's the difference? So if the government is seen as speaking, then, of course, the government can tailor its message when it is speaking, right? Um, but then the question is, what is public speech? Now, here, this is just you trying to tell the government, look, you know, I register under this brand name. I think, I, don't, I can't remember if I've talked about it on the show. I was just posting it. Russia recently renewed Trump's trademark in Russia. Even though Trump doesn't do business in all the different ways that would be covered by the trademark, they went ahead and gave it a renewal, and everyone was saying, oh, well, that means Trump has special connections. It's just 
you know, kind of preserving your ability to have an exclusive label branding that applies to you and to not allow other people to use that label in a way that what they call, they call it diluting your trademark. It, you know, makes other, like for instance, you know, suppose I I go out there, I'm not talented musically at all. And I'm going to make some song and I'm going to call myself the slants or something. Right. And I put some video out on YouTube, the slants and, it starts to show up on search engines and people come and find me and they're like, God, the slants really suck. You know, um, I would be diluting the name if I was allowed to go out there and was it they make dance, dance pop or something. I can't remember. Uh, if I was allowed to go out in there and make dance pop under the name of the slants, then pretty soon any value that they had built up with fans and everything else, would be destroyed because people would see my horrible stuff and they'd say, Oh God, you know, no way. I'm not listening to the slants. Hmm. Now we've got Tim in the chat room asking, should colleges and universities that deny the speech rights of invited speakers lose federal funding or should they be sued? Maybe both. Right. You know, one of the problems with those types of questions, Tim, is that, we should not have federal funding for colleges and universities as such. And then once you do have these, you know, quasi public institutions, colleges and universities, they're sort of private, sort of public mixture, they get this federal funding. Then it seems to be that the political process could be in charge of setting rules about what it is. Uh, Is it speech though? Is the government speaking when they allow to, have you know allow speakers to come on campus arguably no but maybe you could say there's some disanalogies from this case Um, rob is asking an even more complex question about free speech and drug labels and is that going to be different well they're going to say no drugs you know they affect the public health in a way that the music you know or whatever else it is doesn't and so maybe there's an exception they're going to carve out for that because it's not just that Um, in any event. So what did the court agree about? The court agreed that granting of a trademark does not make the mark government speech, that it is private speech. And the fact that the government has come in there and recognized your intellectual property right does not somehow convert it into government speech. The government is not doing any big thing when it recognizes your right. It's not creating the right in such a way that you would say that the government is speaking. That's beautiful to see. Why? Because, you know, and let me, let me finish the whole train of the argument there. Obviously I'm in favor of intellectual property myself, intellectual property rights. The work of the mind is the source of all value in any property that anything has. If you really break it down and say, where does the value come from? It's not from the physical stuff. It's from the mind that figured out how to arrange the physical stuff in a way that's actually valuable to human beings. So as such, of course, I'm in favor of that, but intellectual property like copyrights and um, trademarks in particular are the ones that are necessary in order to spread ideas through the culture And to the extent that there continues to be protection for copyright, you know, that's reaffirmed by the government, that the government isn't just doing you some favor, but that it's actually just recognizing a right that already exists, 
that means that we could see more and more speech, more and more, for instance, novels, plays, songs, everything that you need to make these creations that are going to be out in the culture expressing ideas and viewpoints and sense of life and everything else. We want more of that. So anything that shows that the court is poised to continue to protect intellectual property and not to see it as welfare or some special favor that they're giving you, I think that's a great thing. That's the thing upon which the entire court agreed. So kudos to them for that. Then, says this Cato piece, the court split at that point. Alito, who was joined by Roberts, Thomas, and Breyer, and you could see probably Gorsuch would throw himself in there as well explained why trademarks don't constitute a subsidy. So again, Gorsuch didn't participate, but you could see Gorsuch coming in on this Alito opinion if he were there, which again is is a good thing, a great thing to think about. Um, Trademarks don't constitute a subsidy or other type of government program within which the government can regulate speech. And also the disparagement clause doesn't even survive, according to these justices, what they call the more deferential scrutiny that courts give commercial speech. What does that mean? It means that the courts, unfortunately, have bifurcated speech. Commercial speech, like, for example, there was a campaign that attacked Nike, I believe, for, you know, uh, having, uh, you know, plants, manufacturing plants in China. And, you know, these big ads by the so-called NGOs, saying Nike is horrible and how can you buy their product and blah, blah. And then if Nike comes back and defends itself in the form of ads that it takes out and newspapers and everything else, that's supposedly commercial speech. And the idea is that it's not given the robust protection under the first amendment that just regular speech. So once you are a big company like Nike, and you are speaking in defense of yourself, then somehow that doesn't get protection. But the NGOs who attack you, oh, boy, they get really robust protection. But heaven forbid you actually try to defend yourself. So that's been the split. And, you know, what you might think is because this private speech, they've said it's private speech, it's it's the speech that you're Um, engaging in when you are trying to sell your product, promote your brand, whatever it is that the slants are doing out there, they're selling their music and promoting themselves more generally, that would be seen as commercial speech. And perhaps you'd say, okay, well, it's private speech, but it's commercial speech. And so therefore, um, you know, it shouldn't be protected fully because commercial speech doesn't get very robust protection under the First Amendment, the court's jurisprudence. These justices are saying, you know, we weren't necessarily even asked to reach this question, but here we are. We're saying that there is this more deferential scrutiny that the courts give commercial speech. This disparagement clause doesn't even survive that. Then it says the remaining four justices led by Kennedy would have ended the discussion just after the finding that the PTO is engaging in viewpoint discrimination among private speech. Uh, What Kennedy says um, and I think we've already said this before. Yeah, I already quoted the, the segment from Kennedy before about the safeguards of free and open discussion in a democratic society, that those are the things that you should be relying upon if there is speech with which you disagree. 
Uh, the Lanham Act, the Trademark Act's disparagement clause, according to the full court, placed an unconstitutional condition on those who consider the use of an edgy or taboo phrase to be part of their brand. Um, you don't have to choose among your rights. You can actually have your trademark um, recognized. Even the New York Times went ahead and published a op-ed talking about this. Actually, no, it's just a politics article written by LipTac over there. Um, decision unanimous, ju again, justice divided on the reasoning. Um, and what the New York Times draws out is that this ruling is likely to apply to the Washington Redskins case as well. It's a strong indication that the football team will win its fight to retain federal trademark protection. The Supreme Court says Lisa Blatt, the attorney for the team, vindicated the team's position that the First Amendment blocks the government from denying or canceling a trademark registration based on the government's opinion. What's the law at issue? The law at issue in both cases denies trademark protection to messages that may disparage people, living or dead, along with institutions, beliefs, or national symbols. So there's not going to be denial of trademark, at least in the near future, for any of those reasons. Um, again, the four justices talked about it couldn't even withstand the relaxed scrutiny for commercial speech as well, but, it, you know, Again, keep in mind that the entire court had decided that this is private speech, not commercial speech. Um, the justices rejected the two government interests that the law said was it was going to advance. Uh, they say that no, the law cannot be used, the trademark law cannot be used to protect disadvantaged groups from demeaning messages. And importantly also, imagine this is the other argument that they try to give, the orderly flow of commerce. They were trying to justify restrictions of trademark based on the content of the trademark. And they wanted to justify that on the government's power to regulate the, quote, orderly flow of commerce. It just shows you how much the Commerce Clause has been used for ill in this country. The idea that you can make this argument that the Supreme Court has to deal with this argument. Um, okay, we already, I already read you that. Um, it's interesting because they, they quote Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. And I wonder where Holmes would come down on these issues today. Because, you know, Holmes is one of the first leading progressives on the court. And if Holmes were alive today, would he come down more with progressives? Or would he, you know, again, go with this unanimous court and say, okay, well, this is private speech and the government may not engage in viewpoint discrimination with respect to private speech. Alito said that the law's disparagement clause was too broad. It's not an anti-discrimination clause, because of course that would be okay, according to Alito. He says, it is a happy talk clause, he wrote. So you know, only happy talk. We can only have happy talk. We can't have anything that anybody gets upset about. Um, here's more from Kennedy, and I wanted to read you this a more extensive quotation that the New York Times provided. Quote, the danger of viewpoint discrimination is that the government is attempting to remove certain ideas or perspectives from a broader debate. That danger is all the greater if the ideas or perspectives are ones a particular audience might think offensive, at least at first hearing. 
To permit government discrimination in this context is to permit government censorship, end quote, wrote Justice Kennedy. So again, even though this is trademark law, all of these justices connected the issuing of the trademark with the ability to express viewpoints in the culture more broadly. And they say it's not the government's job to sort this out. It is the job of private discourse. Very principled decision. Um, Yeah, we would like all of the justices to say that even the commercial speech test, it would fail on that ground and stuff, but that's not as important. Really, you've got a unanimous Supreme Court, a full court, in support of freedom of press. James in the chat room is being provocative, at least if I read him completely out of context. He says, evil corporations must run America. Yeah, otherwise, how could you have this, right? If Unless evil corporations ran America. What do you have? You've got Supreme Court justices. They have a life tenure. And because they have a life tenure, you know, except very extenuating circumstances, could they be impeached? And I don't even know what those are. It's so extenuating. James could tell us if if he wanted to. But, um, you know, they have the freedom and they're supposed to have the freedom to stand on principle, to express the, you know, their exact opinion on an issue and not feel political pressure, not feel pressure from evil corporations or anybody else. Rob says, well, what about the good corporations? You know, the only reason that evil corporations are, you know, in any position of power in the United States today is because of political influence that corporations are allowed, right? We have set up, unfortunately, a crony system that gives lobbyists, including a lot of evil corporations, some political power. They try to get the government to use its power to pick winners and losers, which it shouldn't have. And they're always trying to get the government to use that power in their favor and against their competitors. And it's, it's, it's really just sad that things have gone in that direction. So kudos to the Supreme Court a principled stand. James, if I've left an important point of law out or something else to cheer about, you can call in if you'd like to and and add to what I've said. But again, I I like it on two standpoints. Of course, it's the issue of saying that it's not the government's job to sort out amongst the speech and, and engage in any sort of censorship that if you want to counter hate speech, it's the realm of private discourse in a free and open society that needs to do that. So if you think the slants are offensive, then just go out there and write essays, blog posts, make your YouTube video talking about why they're offensive and, you know, go ahead and show your little clips and everything else. What you won't be allowed to do is you won't be allowed to do what I was talking about doing, which is going out there and pretending that you have a band called the slants and putting out whether your music's good or bad or otherwise and trying to dilute the trademark. You're not going to be able to do that. James in the chat room says, the commercial speech distinction that I was talking about is based on the idea that the term evil corporation covers the entire class. Yes. Yeah, or at least, you know, the the mere fact that you have a commercial incentive in speaking Right. So Nike wants to defend itself because, of course, it wants to preserve its profits. That motive means that you shouldn't get 
the full protection of the First Amendment, according to the court's jurisprudence. Terrible distinction. You know, again, speech, a speech, a speech. I mean, what do we just learn? Both of these politicians in this district in Georgia spent inordinate amounts of money. And I'm not sure. I, I, I would need to get some data from you guys about whether the Democrat outspent the Republican. I'm gathering from some things that I've heard that the Democrat did outspend. It's not about how much money you spend or, you know, there, there is maybe some ability still to digest and, and you know, critically analyze a message that's put in front of your face. The mere fact that something's put in front of your face doesn't mean you're going to accept it. And, you know, an NGO criticizes Nike and then Nike defends itself. You, the consumer, are capable of reading both and deciding whether you want to buy the Nike shoes made in China or whether you want to do the the USA. By the way, there is a Buy USA movement going on still, and I gather that there's some sort of legislation that's being proposed, but I haven't been able to get that into the notes yet. So uh, again, go to the blog, don'tletitgo.com. The next thing I want to talk about is, you know, why it is that our culture is in need of this principled stand in, in favor of freedom of expression against censorship of, you know, the Supreme Court reaffirming that our country is one in which speech is protected as a right. And in effect, you know, telling, here's Kennedy telling all of his allies on the left, right? Kennedy is saying, look, if you want to challenge this, the place to challenge this is in the realm of public discourse out there in the world. Um, Not public discourse in the sense of government speech, but, you know, the discourse in society, cultural discourse. This is the way to attack the ideas that you find offensive to go out there and speak yourself. And in effect, you know, you could kind of read between the lines and have him say, let's keep this realm alive and active and productive at addressing what's wrong with these bad ideas. If you think it's wrong that there's this ban called the slants and that it's offensive and that they shouldn't be doing this, go articulate why, right? And, you know, Maybe Kennedy's saying, hey, look, you guys, you need to keep the ability to do this out in the world. You can't have, okay, here's the pro-Trump people and here is the Antifa and just go out and battle it out in physical force. There needs to be discourse and an exchange of ideas. One example, just another example, and it's relevant to a lot of objectivists because people who went to Ocon were treated to an in-person live episode of the Rubin report that had Yaron and um, Steve Simpson there. And it, the, the little clip that I've got for you over at the blog is one that Rob Aviera sent me. Thanks Rob for doing that. The thinkquisition is here. He's calling it the thinkquisition. I don't know if he coined that term or not, but it's a great term. This idea that you're going to suffer inquisition type of, you know, condemnation and ridicule and other sorts of damage right now, as far as we know, I don't think it's been threatened. The inquisition of course also had physical components to it, but Dave Rubin has been in effect slandered by mother Jones, the magazine. And if you listen to the YouTube uh, clip, you can go ahead and hear the whole story and everything. It's only about six some odd minutes long. So I would recommend after the show, 
that you go ahead and go check it out. But he, you know, he's talking about the fact that Mother Jones was misrepresenting him, saying that he is further right than Breitbart. Why? Because he's had guests on his show like Milo and stuff. And he, you know, he talks about how, of course, what they said is wrong, that he has a wide range of guests from across the political spectrum and that the Mother Jones author chose to latch on to Milo and some other controversial right wing, supposedly alt right, but who knows, people, right? And um, you know, he's saying I'm not. He's not at all. He's does interviews and he does interviews of everybody, people on the left, people on the right, progressives, everybody else. And he was at a quandary, right? Because when you're attacked like this and you're misrepresented do you defend yourself, in which case you give extra publicity to the people who are attacking you or not? What do you do? And he went ahead and decided he was going to go ahead and get involved in the scuffle a little bit. And he had some exchanges with the author of the Mother Jones piece on Twitter, and he got the author of the Mother Jones piece to admit, no, okay, you're actually not further right than Breitbart. And he got some minor changes made in the article. So some sort of victory, but he also was defended by people, many people on the left as well, saying, no, this is unfair. You're misrepresenting the nature of this person. But, you know, imagine the fact that Dave Rubin actually gives a forum to people with so-called extreme views, people like Milo and others. Uh, I mean, imagine, I don't, I don't know if they mentioned Euron, but Euron should be seen as having extreme views from their perspective as well. I'm sure Mother Jones would hate all the things that Euron has said on, on the Rubin Report. The, the fact that he does that, that he gives a forum to them, then suddenly makes it okay for them to slander, to misrepresent him, to try to destroy the value that he's created by building up his show. Apparently what they also did, Mother Jones, is attack, there's this platform called Patreon, which I know Yaron has talked about maybe using it, and I'm, maybe I should research and think about it as well. It allows people, if they want to support your show or other things that you're doing, um, to go there and have an easy place to, to do it and become an automatic monthly donor, and it also allows you to distribute special benefits and perks to people who support your show and stuff. It's just a nice platform for that. And Mother Jones is going to completely criticize the entire platform because it opens itself up. It allows, as customers, people who are on the right and people who are on the left, right? They, these leftists, they want to exclude from any public forum, anywhere that people could actually get their idea out, they want to exclude right-wingers. Right-wingers should be excluded. And if right-wingers aren't excluded, then you are a terrible human being. The fact that you will open your platform or open your show up to all of these different viewpoints makes you, for that reason, a terrible person. You know, the, uh, you know the, I had the thought earlier, too, and so now here's a second thought. So I'm probably going to have to do this. I'm going to have to have, I think, like some progressive on the show and interview and try to have this type of exchange that I talk about, you know, it's, it's, it's important, I think, to, to do it. Um, anyway, kudos to him, you know, glad that he did it, go out there and, and support Dave if you can. I think he's pretty much resolved this, but I don't know that 
all the effort that Dave has put in defending himself has reached all of the people whose minds were poisoned by the slander, right? You know, there, it, it's hard to duplicate. He said that in the video, he said that Mother Jones did not publish a retraction, any sort of formal retraction of any kind, which is the sort of thing that would need to be done in order to have a hope of reaching a comparable audience with the correction as opposed to the original lie about his, his nature. Rob says that Mother Jones is trying to bully Patreon. That's the thing. There's just this bullying going on out there. And, and so kudos to the Supreme Court for coming out in principle in favor of freedom of expression to hopefully sink into some of these people's minds that that is what our society is about. And then it's not just what the government in our society is about. It's what, you know, insofar as we are, you know, a, a people in the United States united under this ideal of individual rights and freedom of expression, that we should value it, that we shouldn't try to bully people who merely provide a platform with all of these different views. They don't discriminate themselves. Patreon apparently doesn't discriminate based on viewpoint. Kudos to them. So what is our answer? Our answer is let's go ahead and defend and support and argue against them out there as well you know what Ruben he got he got witnesses right to use the expression I was saying last week witness isn't necessarily the life partner that Katie's talking about in her not just that right she and she uses the term loosely in different ways too she's going around to her audience you know in her little studio saying well you know will you be my witness and you and you and obviously she's not going to have life partners with all these people she's saying are you going to be a person who respects my work and can speak for me and all that stuff. And that's what people were doing for Dave Rubin. And it's a wonderful thing. Again, support your values, particularly when they are under an unjust attack. Uh, so what does the Rubin thing show? It shows, first of all, that there is a need in the culture to protect freedom of expression. It's, it's alive and well, that need and at the same time that Ruben took his stand, that he was supported in taking that stand and maybe made a tiny bit of progress, maybe made the Mother Jones author think a little bit before he does, you know, tries to do the similar thing next time because they think they're entitled to lie about right-wingers. They, they don't have the integrity to say, okay, we need to accurately represent the views that we're criticizing and then show why they're wrong. Maybe they feel incapable of doing it. What I think is it, it does. It shows bankruptcy. It shows that they don't have the ability to actually answer what the person is doing or criticize what the person is doing. Instead, they choose to erect some phony straw man and, and do that. Now, Rob is saying, did Greg Salmeri give a speech about this at Ocon? Is that the speech in which he is talking about how to live in today's society to apply objectivism to today's world. I want to get that. Apparently, if you sign up for live stream, because I didn't go to Ocon, if you sign up for live stream, you can watch it up through July 29th. And I'm counting on that because I'm still getting huge projects off of my plate. Um, I've got this one last bit of the Galt speech aspect of the to script to um, to finish up. So once 
I have some free time. I'm very much looking forward to that speech. John Kenny in the chat room is saying that Bernie Sanders would say, quote, bullying initiation of violence became part of the operation of the state in the 20th century, thus justified, end quote. Now, supposedly he came out, Bernie Sanders came out with a decent statement after the shooting of Scalise last week. But then I've seen memes quoting him uh, just recently talking about channeling your rage to the correct people or something like that. Now, he didn't say channel your rage in the form of violence. He should be clear and say, sure, maybe something makes you angry. And I'm fine when if you say, okay, politics makes you angry or, you know, if Elizabeth Warren expresses a viewpoint about you didn't build that, that's going to make me angry. But then how would I channel my anger? I would I would channel my anger in the form of doing a podcast and telling you why she's wrong Otherwise, expressing the viewpoint as, as to why she's wrong. So, yeah, pl- uh, Rob says that Salmieri's talk is applying the strikers' principles. Yes, I'm very interested in, in seeing what he has to say that, about that because I've been groping with that as well recently. Um, you know, do you have to do what John Galt did, right? Um, yeah, I don't. I don't want to. I keep giving away spoilers in my show. I'm so sorry, you guys, but maybe I shouldn't worry about that. Um, in any event, let's go back. Freedom of expression in the culture. There is another piece of good news this week. The court, I do think it's very important that the court put out principled statements in favor of freedom of expression. Somebody else who is also in I hopefully powerful and effective ally of freedom of expression in our government is Senator Ted Cruz. I've spoken in the past on this show, uh, and I've praised, there was about an hour long about 50 some odd minutes he gave on the floor of the Senate a few years ago when Democrats in the Senate were actually trying to pass legislation that would invalidate a portion of the First Amendment as it applied to speech by corporations, right? Not surprisingly. And Cruz gave a very principled presentation about how speech requires the spending of money, the connection, because money is required these days to distribute speech. Now, there's not a whole pile of money uh, always, but if you're actually going to get in a big audience, then and you know get a get a lot of eyes on what it is that you have to say, then yes, there's quite a bit of money required in order to get some ideas out there in the world. And he talked about that in a very principled way. It was one of the reasons that I would have voted for him for president had I been given the opportunity. But now what is he doing as a senator? He is a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and he's a chairman of the Subcommittee on the Constitution. He participated in a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing, I believe it was yesterday. The title was Free Speech 101. I love how he does that. You know, this is the basic stuff. And then he says, the assault on the First Amendment on college campuses. End quote. And they say the hearing emphasized the importance of upholding the First Amendment in light of the escalating censorship of speech on college campuses across the country. Seven witnesses they had, including Professor Eugene Volokh, who is so fabulous on freedom of expression and just a nice guy in general. Um, known him for a couple decades. He's awesome. So I imagine that was very effective. I don't know what they're going to do about it in terms of protecting freedom of expression. What is going to come out of this? There's some very nice statements 
from crews here, and it's good to have those aired, very principled defenses of freedom of expression, have those aired publicly by influential people in our government. The first, you know, but like I said, the Supreme Court, we've got a unanimous ruling. Those on the left and the right all said, here's private speech. It's not the government's job to censor this. We value it. The answer is to speak. It's not to use force from government in that case. Here's Cruz, quote, the First Amendment is not about opinions you agree with. It's not about opinions that are right and reasonable. The First Amendment is about opinions that you passionately disagree with and the right of others to express them. It's tragic what is happening at so many American universities where college administrators and faculties have become complicit in functioning essentially as speech police deciding what speech is permissible and what speech isn't. You see violent protests, the senior senator from California referred to, enacting effectively a heckler's veto. And so this is where he's talking about, that the heckler's veto has been given effect on our college campuses, right? Um, What's the heckler's veto? He says, this is where violent thugs come in and say, quote, this particular speaker, I disagree with what he or she, you know, he or she has to say, and therefore I will threaten physical violence if the speech is allowed to happen. End quote. That's what the heckler says. And then Cruz continues. He says, far too many colleges and universities quietly roll over and say, okay, with a threat of violence, we effectively reward the violent criminals and muzzle the First Amendment. End quote. So this is important. We've got a prominent U.S. senator who is talking about the fact that on our college campuses today, our college campuses, which are subsidized by your tax dollars, this heckler's veto is routinely given more and more effect on college campuses and how dangerous this is, right? Because what are they learning if they're getting reinforced in this way? If they're getting reinforced in this way, what they're learning is that um, the heckler's veto is effective, That if all they have to do, if they want to shut some speech down, is make a threat of violence, even if they don't really plan to back it up, and college administrators are just roll over and disinvite the speaker, etc. Continuing with Cruz's statement, he says he saw a recent study. Majority of college students believe that the climate on their campuses has prevented people from saying what they believe out of fear of giving offense. What an indictment of our university system, and what does it say about what you think about your own ideas? If ideas are strong, if ideas are right, you don't need to muzzle the opposition. You should welcome the opposition. When you see college faculties and administrators being complicit or active players in silencing those with opposing views, what they are saying is they are afraid. They are afraid that their ideas cannot stand the dialectic, cannot stand opposition, cannot stand facts or reasoning or anything on the other side. And it is only through force and power that their ideas can be accepted. And he goes on to say, you know, he agrees with Mill that the solution for bad ideas, bad speech is more and better ideas. Uh, So kudos to him for participating in that for his role in it and for giving that principal defense. I would like to see Eugene Bollock's statement as well in, in defense of free speech there. Oh, 
Rob is saying the sound is breaking up because there's some ads and stuff on blog talk. <laughs> I, I would tell you, I promise to try to fix that next time, but then I'm going to be in the purview of the onion article. If people want to call in and talk about any of this freedom of expression or some of the other things I'm going to move on to now, 760-888-5817 is the number to do. So if you're sitting there on the switchboard, there's some people there and you want to talk, just press the one key and I'll go ahead and get back to you. So we do have a desperate need out there to address this issue of rational discourse in our society. We've been talking about it. One of the things that we've talked about on this show is the study that they did a while ago showing that the college campuses no longer teach critical thinking skills and that they have a measure of this, a test that they give entering freshmen versus leaving seniors, and that the colleges don't make them any better at critical thinking. And if if you're not capable of critically thinking about the ideas that are put forth in front of you, you are going to feel scared when you're confronted with the ideas that you disagree with. And maybe you're going to see those ideas as being, quote, violent because they're denying you your due, which, you know, as a leftist, you're being taught that you're owed certain things in society and stuff like that. So um, this will be an ongoing theme, no doubt. Uh, but again, let's let's cheer the victory that the Supreme Court is giving that principled defense in the context of trademark, which some people would say is sort of commercial-ish. And, you know, again, they propped up intellectual property, they propped up freedom of expression in one opinion. And that bodes for me well to the, you know, for the future in terms of having more time to express ideas out there in the world in a positive way, change the culture. Now, what do you want to do when you're expressing those ideas? I'm going to say focusing more on the positive, praising the, uh, the productive, uplifting the good. You do have to sometimes denounce the bad, but try, we'll we'll try to, to focus on promoting the good out there. Uh, In that regard, I guess I am going to criticize Trump a little, but I'll only do it very briefly, and then I'm going to defend Carrie Fisher. Trump pledged to protect Iraqi Christians from ISIS. Now he's deporting them. And that's a Newsweek article. Uh, What they're saying in there is that there's a bunch of Iraqi Christians who were rounded up in some ICE raids, some dozens of them, and a substantial number of them apparently don't have the type of criminal records that we would think would justify deportation, that if they have anything on their records, those are charges from long ago, or maybe they're not the sorts of things that we really think we need to deport for. And what happens if you deport Iraqi Christians, you send them back to Iraq, they're in danger of getting killed by ISIS. In fact, if you click on the link, the Newsweek article, uh, article, I think they've changed the headline to the fact that now they're going to get a death sentence if they're sent back there. And and then you really do have to think about that. Is it really worth giving these people a death sentence and deporting them? I had somebody come on and try to half-heartedly defend, say, okay, well, this is the news media, the left-wing news media, and is Trump really responsible? Well, Trump is responsible for what's going on in his watch. We criticized Obama for what went on with immigration on his watch. Why not criticize Trump now? We know Trump is concerned with immigration and he's paid some attention to it. So this is certainly something that I would say the, you know, the buck stops with Trump. Then the other thing is, you know, it's the left-wing news media. Well, let's just see what ha- 
uh, I don't necessarily think that CNN is lying about the record of these Iraqi Christians. But if you find that they are, then let me know. But I've said this in, in the past. Once we're at the stage where our news media is actively lying to us, that they say something is A when it's not A, we're in a really sorry state. We have seen journalists call out their own for this, and maybe sometimes we don't think they get enough of a penalty, but we've seen them called out when they actually lie. Oh, yeah, Tim says he's got ad blockers. Do I want to talk about ad blockers? Yeah, maybe get different browsers and stuff that will block ads. Perhaps I'm going to need to upgrade so that there's fewer ads being thrown at you guys. I'll, I'll think about that. As I said, I'm thinking of going over to Patreon. And, and you know, I am a, a bit delinquent on thanking a couple of donors who sent in donations recently. I I owe big thank you to people who have sent donations in recently. So I have to do that once I'm finished with my Atlas Shrug project. Maybe I shouldn't have come back so soon, but I wanted to come back. I couldn't stand not talking to you guys. But there's other things that have just kind of gone by the by the wayside. So I've got to get back on all of that. If I want to make this show a serious enterprise, I, I need to support it financially, right? Not just go out there and have fun each week, which is kind of what I'm doing right now. Um, okay, so let's let's defend Carrie Fisher a little. Carrie Fisher, the autopsy... Actually, not an autopsy. It's just a coroner's report because they didn't do a full autopsy. But uh, the report revealed that there was a cocktail of drugs, including cocaine, opiates, and ecstasy in her system when she died. Remember, she died of cardiac arrest, apparently, some point when she was traveling back from Europe over here on plane. And I, I wasn't really watching so much of this, but a person who I follow, and she follows me on Twitter, Colleen Doran, she's a very talented comic book artist. She was defending Carrie Fisher because a lot of people were just trashing her mercilessly based on this report. You know, Carrie Fisher was talking about her drug problem, and then yet here she is, you know, hypocritical. She died with all this in her system. You know, how horrible. We'll just denounce her and make fun of her and everything else. And to me, there's just no point at all uh, of doing that. Uh, I, I posted this story and said, you know, how sad it is that she wasn't able to overcome her addiction and that she was still existing with these things in, in her system, you know, at that, at that point. And I mean, you know, what, you know, what happened? I don't know. She filmed the new movie and then she maybe got into a high state where she ended up doing more of these drugs. We don't know exactly but she couldn't shake that addiction. And to me, it's just, it's a sad thing. It, I wouldn't trash her for it, but people do. Someone came on and said, oh, what is it with these celebrities? They all have to do these drugs. And sometimes it's just celebrity, I guess, that gets them involved with the drugs and then they get addicted to it. Sometimes I think with Carrie Fisher, it's a combination of the celebrity combined with problems with her childhood but um, I had a stepfather, and I've talked about this before, but I'll just, I'll just repeat it. So I had a stepfather who was a decent guy whenever he was sober, and he was sober, well, so he, he drank alcohol when I knew him, but he never did cocaine when I knew him. But he, when I knew him, he had told me that years before he had done cocaine, he had dealt cocaine, and in fact he had met Carrie Fisher 
at an NA, and they actually went out a couple times. It was a very brief thing. He had nothing but good things to say about Carrie Fisher. By the way, I didn't hear any, you know, anything bad. Uh, I think she just decided she wasn't interested in my stepdad after a period of time. And I know, you know, I heard almost nothing. But the, his point in telling me what was going on about it was that he said, you should never try cocaine because it's really addictive. He says it, it, it makes you feel, I forget how he described it, but you know, that he died in 97. So excuse me if I can only paraphrase, um, you know, that it made you feel so good that you would have to do it again and again and again. That might not be true for everybody. And I'm not really an addictive type, so I probably would have been okay. But nonetheless, I have stayed away entirely. I've never tried cocaine. Uh, I actually only ever was offered cocaine in high school, believe it or not. I Imagine being offered cocaine in high school. It doesn't seem like a drug you'd be offered in high school. But I was offered it, turned it down, had no interest, and um, never, ever since wouldn't seek it out, whatever. So, you know, think about this. Here's Carrie Fisher. She talked about her story, everything that she went through in her life, including all the problems with the drugs and everything, and indirectly – had an effect on someone like me, right? Because my stepdad was exposed to her story. Who knows what he heard during the meetings, right? When she was talking about all this stuff. Um, And of course he had his own experience and he reinforced it with that and told me, Hey, don't ever do this. I never did. She's done some good. Don't trash her. Don't trash this woman. Of course she provided so much value as princess Leia out there and entertainment and other capacities as well. I've I've seen her do some funny roast things and stuff. She's, there's no purpose in in doing this. It's it's sad and everything else. I have a friend who came on and said, why should they even make this public? That they shouldn't even make this sort of report public unless they plan on pressing charges. If they press charges, then you'd say, okay, she's got this cocktail of drugs, but the opiates are prescription. So maybe if they go after the doctor for that, but the cocaine, I don't know who they would press charges against. Maybe that's right, that they should just not make these records public. So um, defend defend these people. Don't always use it as an opportunity to trash them. As a matter of fact, uh, Ben Shapiro has been trashing Katy Perry a little bit here and they're making fun of her because there's some picture out there where she seems kind of distraught. She's like laying down on the stairway. Everyone's using it as their favorite meme. She got herself in some sort of an emotional state, I guess, when she was on camera for 15 hours a day for however many days straight or something. So you see her. Why make fun of that? You know, why pick that out in particular? Just it's it just doesn't seem productive. I'd rather focus again on the on the value that people provide and, and reinforce that. Unless, as James said last week, James said, well, if you know something that you're evaluating is a pile of manure with a few rose petals on top or something, then you can't, right? But if it's a mixed case, then support and, and cheer the positive. You know, Carrie Fisher, she educated plus she provided a lot of value in in her career for people so kudos to her Uh, a little complaining again we have greece selling out to china new york times article i saw the other day in greece china finds an ally against human rights criticism they had a meeting of the united nations human rights council 
And what they typically will do, I guess, each year is draw renewed attention to human rights abuses in China. However, this time around, they were blocked by one of the member countries, namely Greece. A spokesman for the Greek foreign ministry in Athens called the United Nations you know, statement against China, quote, unproductive criticism. This is the first time, writes the New York Times, that the European Union did not make a statement in the Human Rights Council regarding rights violations in specific countries, including China, which has a seat on the council. They say the silence was an embarrassing reversal for the 28-country bloc, which has prided itself on taking progressive positions on human rights in a council where some nations with poor human rights records habitually resist country-specific resolutions. Now, why is Greece doing this? New York Times explains, Greece is increasingly courting Chinese trade and investment as it faces pressure from international creditors and a cold shoulder from its traditional rich allies in Europe. So, Greece, rather than actually make reforms in the form of government that it has and the cost of government and try to actually get on a fiscally responsible path. Instead, they're going to sell out a moral perspective on human rights, a principled perspective on human rights in favor of financial investment from China. They wouldn't want to anger the people who are going to give them some money. You know, here's Greece, the the way I put it out there when I was sharing it. Greece is the home of Western civilization. Really, you know, with Aristotle and Plato there, they started the systems of philosophy that made the concept of individual rights possible. This started in Greece, and now we have selling out for money not to denounce China. It's, it's very, very sad. Selfishness says China has to export its state-supported industries so the communists will stay in power. Who knows what tangled mess is there? A few words in the chat room says, Carrie's daughter, Billy Lord, is a great actor as well. I'll be keeping an eye on her work. That's nice. Hmm. Okay. Let me go back over to the program notes. So that's Greece. We've got Russia things sort of heating up with Russia, and this is going to be, again, something ongoing that we're going to have to watch. Got a Heretz.com article from the other day talking about United States shooting down an armed Iranian-made drone over Syria. Just a drone, right? So don't get all excited. It was a preemptive strike. They're saying that the drone was reportedly armed and in firing range of U.S. Special Operations uh, Forces that have been training Syrian rebels in Syria. We shot this Iranian drone down. Um, And, oh, sorry, we got our little ad coming in. They try to bombard me. Talk about getting bombarded with pop-up ads. I get that, too, when I'm scrolling through my news articles. Say so, uh, this is the second time that the U.S. has shot down an Iranian drone in less than a month, and that the downing, um, yeah, it marks the fifth time since late May that the U.S. military has bombed pro-Syrian forces in southern Syria. This is also just two days 
after a U.S. warplane shot down the Syrian army jet on Sunday in the countryside, with Washington saying that the jet had dropped bombs near U.S.-backed forces, and Damascus saying that the plane was down while flying a mission against Islamic State militants. So uh, once that was done, of course, you heard, you probably saw in the news, that Russia followed up on Monday. They threatened to intercept any aircraft in its area of operations in Syria, and that was according to official Russian news outlets. So are we seeing an escalation over there? Are we going to see Iran and Russia join forces? You know, again, this is a preemptive strike. The other one, they were saying that, you know, the um, the warplane had actually been dropping bombs. So we'd say, well, that's not preemptive. This time it was preemptive, but it was just a drone. It wasn't manned. Are we going to be willing to do preemptive strikes when any of this aircraft is manned, or is just war theory going to stop us from doing it, from fighting an effective war over there? I don't know. You know, Trump has definitely got a lot on his plate between that and North Korea. You know, the, the American boy died in the one who was sent home. 15 years of hard labor because he was stealing a poster in North Korea. And when he was finally released, he was so ill, he just died. And that, that's all we get. So North Korea is a mess. It's a, it's a mess over there. It's not clear, you know, is this a real escalation that we should worry about? What's going to happen in the future? We are seeing that there's these alliances that are being built up. Um, the other thing that I haven't been able to dig into, and I don't know the significance of yet, is that there's been a change in leadership. I guess the crown prince was removed in Saudi Arabia and replaced by the son of the king and what is that going to mean? And for the, we have a lot to sort out. We're going to keep watching it. But keep an eye on on Russia. Another article sent by my friend Benjamin, who's posting it, is about Russia's power in the realm of natural gas supplying, which is something that we hadn't thought about. And there was another story that I wondered whether it was connected to this or not today. Um, France has come out and said that Assad is not France's enemy, that Assad is the enemy of the people of Syria. Does that have anything to do with this? What is this, this thing that I'm talking about? The headline at politico.com, Russia's pipeline power. This is a story that was published yesterday. For months, Washington has been fixated on Russia's interference in our presidential election, as well as similar concerns and elections of our European allies like France and Germany. Moscow's actions are a direct threat to the credibility of our presidential elections. It's understandable that lawmakers and pundits have spent so much time discussing them, but Russia's campaign to undermine the U.S. extends beyond the ballot across multiple domains, from its annexation of Crimea and Ukraine to its support for Syrian dictator Assad, one extension of the policy that has received curiously little attention, though, is the energy policy. They're saying that Russia is the second largest producer in the world of natural gas and that it has leverage over European customers by threatening to cut off gas supplies. It's using the power to foster discord among European countries. A new pipeline that Moscow intends to build could dramatically increase the leverage, potentially raising its share of Germany's gas market to above 50%. This policy and 
the pipeline in particular, they say, poses a direct challenge to post-World War II U.S. interest in European stability, et cetera. Again, I don't know if this is connected to, you know, is, is there pressure from Russia that is affecting France, stating whether or not Assad is France's enemy? France, as I understand it, has quite a large share of its energy provided by nuclear power. So maybe it's not as susceptible as Germany that they're naming in particular here in the article, but it just gives you an idea that Putin is somebody to watch and he is trying to consolidate and amass power on multiple fronts. One, you know, only, only one of them making a mess over in the, in the Middle East. Now, here in the chat room, people seem to be relatively silent about Putin. Yeah, we do have to worry about Putin in the world. Maybe we should get to some stuff that's a little bit more fun, though, right? Um, we'll, be, we'll be continuing on that topic. So, only got, what, a few minutes left. We're going to have some fun here. Microsoft has done something very, 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 very important with its artificial intelligence research and development, right? Here's the headline. Microsoft's artificial intelligence makes history. You want to hear how Microsoft's artificial intelligence has made history? This is TechWorm. Techworm TechWorm.net is the publication. It made history by setting the highest possible score on Ms. Pac-Man. Now, how many of you guys played Ms. Pac-Man? Anybody in the chat room admit you admit to playing that game. I actually played a lot of Ms. Pac-Man. And Ms. Pac-Man was my favorite, favorite game. If I had a choice, I would always play Ms. Pac-Man over something else. Now, the version of Ms. Pac-Man that they show is really yucky, the one that's on the actual article, the image grab. Why can't it be the pretty one that I used to see? You know, I made the connection. The Ms. Pac-Man little... um, I don't, I don't know what you call it. The little it, it'd be like a game piece, but it's not called a game piece in the in the digital world. The little Miss Pac-Man that you manipulate and move through the maze as you're playing the game, she looks like a little emoji, right? The you know there's a little emoji with a little kiss. They call it the um, the the kissing heart or whatever. Miss Pac-Man looks like that. Anyway, it's pretty cute. Maybe that's why I like that little emoji. It's it's pretty fun. In any event, yeah, you know, artificial intelligence, it's out there. It is doing important things. It's getting the highest possible score on Miss Pac-Man, a score that I never in all the years I played it was able to get. Oh, Stuart is helping me out. He says in video games, it's called a sprite, a sprite. That's such a cute name for it, too. That's perfect. That is perfect. Um Yeah, so now they say a startup that's acquired by Microsoft working in the domain of deep learning called Maluba has recently made a major breakthrough. They have managed to develop an AI-based system that has achieved the maximum possible score in a computer game, Ms. Pac-Man. The researchers in the project have utilized a branch of AI learning termed as reinforcement learning to teach their AI how to play the game and consequently improve the AI to the extent of achieving the maximum possible score of 99, excuse me, 999,990 on the Atari 2600 version of the game. And what I want to know is how did it do on the arcade version of the game? Did it go through? Cause I don't know if you guys remember you play this, um, 
so you uh, get through the first level, which is however many mazes that you've cleared, maybe three mazes you clear. And if you clear the three mazes, then you get to see the cute little video of the Pac-Man and the Miss Pac-Man meeting. And I think they have their little kiss or something. It's like all adorable. And then you play some more screens and it gets harder. And then if you're really lucky, you get the next one. And then there's another little video and then, you know, you play some more. And I think I've gotten like to the third video sometimes. I was I was pretty good at this game, which is probably not an admission that I should make, right? Because it means I spent too much time playing it, but it was fun. The, the one thing I want to say, though, is, okay, this computer did it, but this computer could not enjoy playing Miss Pac-Man the way that I could, right? You might get a better score, but it couldn't enjoy it, so there. That's what I have to say. I'm running out of time, apparently. Go to the blog at don'tletitgo.com if you want to check out the last two things that I have there. I've got Katy Perry performing Swish Swish live on SNL, which is just a fun little clip. And then if you are a fan of yummy desserts with a lot of sugar, the Ideal Lemon Bar, New York Times is sharing that recipe with you over there. So thank you, everyone, in the chat room. And... Um, Oh, interesting. Some people were listening on their phone and apparently a young daughter liked my voice. So that was good to hear. Well, thanks, everyone. Go to the blog. Don't let it go dot com to continue the discussion. Otherwise, I will talk to you next week again, every Wednesday, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Pacific. Take care.